Episode 146 is here, everybody, with Bob Krulish. Really appreciate Bob. This was a tremendous episode. Uh, Bob has been living with bipolar disorder for 46 years, and it was untreated for 35, the first 35. So um, he sheds light into this really, really horrific illness and uh, opens up about his past, his present, um, all the things that he has uh, lost in his life because of the illness and uh, the impact he's having now uh, living well with bipolar disorder, treatments, his uh, uh, therapy, coaching, etc., and what he's doing to make an impact, helping others avoid the uh, pitfalls that the illness may bring. So I really appreciate Bob and uh, check him out. We've, we've linked some of this in the show notes. You can contact him. Uh, at the links, and uh, again, this is a, a really, really raw episode. Uh, but, but before we get there, everybody, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast, whether you're listening on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, anywhere, anywhere. Follow, subscribe. And uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, again, please, everybody, really appreciate the five-star ratings that continue to come in. If you're finding value, give us the five-star. If not, no hard feelings. But uh, it makes a huge difference as the podcast continues to get pushed out to different locations, to different people all over the world. So uh, the more five-star ratings we get, the more people we will reach. And that's because of the support that I get from all of you. With that said, everyone, uh, please be prepared to be blown away by this next episode. Sit back, relax, and welcome the one and only Bob Krulish. The Optimal Life. Bob, welcome to The Optimal Life. How are you today? How are you? I'm doing fine. That's good. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's 2021. Let's put 2020 behind us. What do you think? Amen. Triple that. What? What would? I've asked a lot of people this. What was your take? How do you summarize 2020? Would love to have seen our country be the best at handling the virus. <laughs> and we're not. You know, would have loved to have seen a lot of things differently around the virus, um, but we, we, I, I, I just kind of disappointed that we didn't do better. For someone that suffers from bipolar disorder, what, what is what is something like when 2020 with the pandemic and these outside things going on and shutting down the cities and states and society shutting down and you're you're excluded from your loved ones potentially what what kind of impact did that have on you or potentially other people that that suffer from the illness well it has a big impact on on people i think with bipolar including myself and that is the isolation is not uh, in our nature we're usually pretty outgoing uh people i am uh so i'm used to instead of working from home like I can, I'll go to a library just because I'll be around people. I like being around people. We get energy by being around people. And the isolation is very depressing. So anything that brings on uh, depressive uh, feelings or thoughts or episodes is really bad for us. And what are some of the things that happen when, when those things occur and these triggers occur? What, what are some of the things that, that people tend to do? Well, we, we tend, well, first we've lost interest in things that really interest us. And that could be because those things were taken away from us because it used to be socializing, for example, and now we can't. Uh, 
or we we start to lose interest in things in general because we just are so restricted in what we can do. So you'll see that manifested by us uh, going through about a depression, staying in bed for long times, long periods of time, having no interest in doing anything, um, and just a real lethargic type of lifestyle. And and those feelings when they're happening for people, especially in this past year, because a lot of people were depressed that aren't diagnosed with the illness, let alone, of course, the ones that have the illness. So when those feelings are happening, uh, what what do you what what is occurring in your own brain? Do you know that you're getting depressed? Do you know that you're isolating? What's the uh, psyche behind it? Yeah, there's just not enough. Um good things going on in your brain to kind of counter the bad chemistry so uh, you don't have the endorphins that you get maybe you would like to exercise maybe you were like I was you know going to the gym all the time and all of a sudden you can't do that those endorphins are gone that 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 chemistry that keeps you up and happy is is all gone so you end up just looking for other things to do you know you you end up spending a lot of time watching movies or tv um but they were very isolating events and and so they tend to have a real toll on your physical and your mental well-being and you carry it with you into your day-to-day activities i take that yeah, you carry it with you um, if you even have any day-to-day activities. You know, if you're trying to work, um, it's really hard to do any work because you're you're uh, you're not upbeat. You don't you don't have a lot of drive. You don't have a lot of energy. If you're in a relationship with somebody, it could turn flat because you just don't have energy for it. And that that could suffer, and then that has its own consequences. When the relationship gets flat, then it doesn't it's not well, and that becomes worrisome or makes you anxious. So it, it has a lot of down down the um, downstream uh, problems. It causes a lot of downstream problems. Sure, and, and we're going to get to your story, but uh, just to piggyback off of this thought. Uh, it so when you're having these downstream problems, this domino effect, um, how how do you how do you reverse course? Well, you um, if you know how to manage this illness well, you'll start to pick up on the warning signs early on, and then you start to do some things about it, like you start engaging with people in if that's what makes you healthy so you know thank god for zoom for example mm-hmm. or facetime you know where where we could i could start so i started setting up a lot of zoom meetings and i i don't know how many zoom meetings i've done with just friends this year but quite a few uh, or last year and so you 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 start to do everything you can to bring in the things that made you feel better. You go for a walk, you know, you might go for, I go for a walk with my girlfriend, go for a walk by myself, but at least I'm outside. Maybe I'm wearing a mask, I'm outside, but I'm outside nonetheless and I'm getting some exercise. So with 
with my bipolar and when I coach people with bipolar, you always have to really try to get out in front of that depression because once it gets in front of you, you don't have the drive to do anything. Mm. So knowing what your early warning signs are, like when I'm when I'm not interested in hitting a golf ball, I'm a big golfer and and, and I'll get to a place where I don't I don't even want to look at my clubs. That's that's an early warning sign. Oh, that's interesting. That I need I need to do something. I need something right away. That's interesting. So something that you typically like when you start feeling, oh, I don't like that. Uh, I, I, I that, that nauseates I have no me. Interest in it. I have no interest. In all this. That's that's a, a big sign. It's a huge sign. Yeah, that, uh, they have a medical term called anhedonia for it. But it just means this lack or loss of pleasure in things that used to be pleasurable. And when I see that, I know that. But it's an early warning sign of my depression. So I've learned to understand what early warning signs are for me. And when I try to help others, I try to help them figure out what their early warning signs are because they could be very different, you know. Um, yeah. But... Um, but once we, we get to the early warning signs, we can do something about it. It might mean that we need to get a medication adjustment too at the same time, or we might need to up our therapy. Um, might need to get a, one of those sunlights at the house or something like that. I live in the Pacific Northwest where this time of the year, we don't have a lot of daylight. Mm. So yeah. I have to do things that, that you know when the sun does come out i better be outside this time of the year yeah no doubt well, i'm in cleveland so i, I understand I, I feel your okay. frustrations you, I, we, we're, you understand it we we come from the same different different sides of the country but similar environments uh i believe cloudy uh, and dark right cloudy and dark and a lot of rain a lot um, of rain right right yeah uh so you, you mentioned girlfriend and i'm just curious and we, you, you know when when people are having these bouts of depression, I imagine that it's going to affect intimacy, sexual relation issues as well. And you just have no desire for anything. Even that, you know, you lose your desire for everything, and um, and so it it can it can you know play a role there, and it can be um, you really need an understanding partner. You know, you really need to, and anybody that I, you know, when people say, oh, I'm getting serious about my girlfriend, should I tell her about my bipolar? I'm like, absolutely, you gotta, you gotta bring her in on this. Um, you can't catch her by surprise. You know, when you're all of a sudden depressed and you don't want to do anything to do with her, you need to let her know that that could possibly happen. And, and then you guys need to build systems to make sure that your relationship stays healthy that's, even uh, when you're going through that. That's a real interesting point because there's never the right time, I would imagine. It's like you don't want to scare somebody off potentially on the first date. But at the same point, you don't want right. to mislead somebody and you kind of want to be honest on what you know what they're getting into and there's ways to make this successful. But So, so what's your advice to people going through this? When is the right time? Well, I usually say it's right up to about where you think you might be able to fall in love with the person, but you're not yet, 
and hopefully it's not where they've already fallen in love with you. That's the tricky part. Yeah, but I would imagine really I would imagine that they would. So it might be the second date. You know, I don't know. It just depends on how the connection is. But you want to be really upfront um, with this because this this is a day to day. This is a twenty four twenty four seven illness. This is this is in your life all the time. And if you're really not, if most of us are not great at managing it. So it really affects all of our relationships, and you don't want to you don't want to bring somebody in to fall in love with you and then surprise him or her with that later on. It's just not not healthy because they might feel like, oh, I love you so much, I can do this without being really aware of what they're being asked to do. Well, that's my question. Is it possible for them truly not to be aware after, I don't know, months, many months together with somebody? About their bipolar? Yeah. Can, you can hide it. I, 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 I've hit it before, um, but I, don't, I didn't do that in this relationship, and um, I'm very open about it now. But you could, you could hide it to a to pass that point you know and I've done it you know that's kind of why I warned against doing it because it didn't work out very well mm. I went too far I went too long and then when you know this other person expressed their love for me I was like oh shit <laughs> I'm in uh, I'm in trouble here you know we'll see how she takes this news mm-hmm. and what happened how, how did she take it well it wasn't great it wasn't great, but but you know, she was already in love with me, and she wanted to continue the relationship, and it was awful. It was awful. I wasn't um, really that healthy. I wasn't managing my bipolar as well as I do now, and there was a lot of fights and arguments. And she was like, "I don't know why you fight with me all the time," mm. and I'm. You know, and uh, I basically almost said, well, it's because I have this illness that I don't have it under control. And you had no idea what you were getting into. Mm. And so there's a mess. It's a mess. You really want somebody to be very, very aware. you got to be very honest about this. Yeah, it like sounds- I said, it's a 24-7 thing. It sounds like that is uh, the route to go. Maybe not the first date, but but not letting it drag on too long. Uh, maybe a few dates in. Yeah, you don't want to be six months down the road with somebody and then tell them. Yeah, yeah. That's just, that's just too late. Yeah, and they're going to be upset too. Why didn't you tell me the sooner? Why were you hiding this? Uh, Absolutely. And, and why did trust you... issues too? Sure. Right? Like you hid this really important fact. What else would you hide from me? You yeah. know what I mean. And some people might be upset at that point, even if, uh, even if they're not upset about the the illness itself, they might be upset. Hey, you just took me along for six months, six months potentially that I've wasted, and now I can't trust you. Yeah, to your point. So let's talk about it, Bob. Uh, um, going back on your story, going back years ago, take us back. I mean, how long have how long um, have you been considered bipolar? Well, that's part of my, my struggle was that I started having symptoms when I was about 16. Um, when you're, when you have bipolar, you have the genetic disp- uh, predisposition to, to become, to, to have it activated. But it, 
but not only do you need the gene, but you need to have some kind of life experience kind of activate it. So a lot of people go through life with gene, but they never get it activated. What activated it for me was my dad left when I was 16, just in the middle of the night, and never heard from him again. And I took that very hard. And and he had bipolar, which I discovered much later on uh, by just knowing more about my own illness. But um, that triggered my bipolar at 16, and I started having really bad symptoms then. But can I, I ask you? Can, I was can I ask you? One years old. I went 35 years before I got diagnosed properly by a doctor. What were your symptoms going back to the 16? Yeah, there are a lot of uh, grandiosity, a lot of inflated ego, a lot of pressured speaking. You know, I talked everybody to death. Um, I um, I was very impulsive. I joined the army reserves for no good reason whatsoever I uh, was um, bragging how I was going to be all these really important things in life as if I was already doing those things so I would tell people I'm going to be a U.S. Senator as a matter of fact I'm, gonna, I'm practically a U.S. Senator right now you know and people would look at me like what the hell are you talking about mm. you, you know you're, you're 19 years old what are you talking about did you so, when you say I'm practically when you say I'm practically a U.S. senator right now? I mean, what's going through your mind at that point? Do you really believe? Like, why would you say such a thing? I just believe it's inevitable. Um, part of mania, you when you're manic, you have this sense of inevitability. You 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 might have done something that's going to produce a result six months from now or a year from now or whatever but you realize it as if it happened in that moment wow so you you feel very much like you're a senator at that moment even though it's a futuristic goal and for me they were all major pie in the sky goals so it caused a lot of problems later on in life when I worked with a group of guys and gals to flip houses and I would make these outrageous deals you know that didn't work out but then I'd put together a deal on paper and and let's say it looked like it was going to earn me $40,000 the deal I would go tell people I just made $40,000 that day but all we did was set up a deal we didn't buy the house yet. We didn't really have the house yet. We hadn't sold the house yet. All I had was a deal. But I would tell people I made $40,000 today. It sounds like the when people think bipolar, at least for myself, and I think a lot of people that don't know much about it, we naturally tend to gravitate to the dark, depressed side of the bipolar. But there are, by, it's two sides. There's the dark, depressed side, and there's this other side, this manic side that you're talking about right now, which seems to be like the complete opposite that's extremely exaggerated, uh, high mania, uh, inflated, all these things, talking fast, uh, not not having uh, a grasp of reality. And a lot of those parts of the disorder, to me, remind me of like a narcissistic personality disorder or a borderline personality disorder. Do they... Do they kind of tie in together? A little bit. Um, you know, when you talk about ego states, 
um, you could see the similarities. But with the with the bipolar, it is characterized by these grandiosity, this grandiose goals and 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 extreme um, uh, goal activity, goal directed activity in your life. You 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 also have other symptoms that are not common among those other illnesses, like you have a tremendous amount of impulsivity. You spend money like it's water. You invest in things that are have no chance in hell of really working. You you start businesses that have no potential whatsoever. Um, people with the other illnesses, they don't necessarily do things like that. Although they do have, you know, ego ego problems that are that are not healthy. With the bipolar, the mania, which is, which you have to have mania at least once in your life to be diagnosed with bipolar. And then it automatically kind of includes the depression. Um, the mania is really what will destroy a person's life because they have this energy and they have this wherewithal and they have these delusional goals and, 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 and they think they have these abilities. Like I, I would tell people, I would, I would, I was so, I thought it was so weird that other people couldn't fly. I was like, I thought, why can't other people fly? I can fly. Why can't they fly? And I would, that would be a, a reasonable conversation to have it myself. But why can't other people fly? I never flew, but I was sure I could. You were sure that you could fly like Superman? Like Superman. Yeah, just jump off of the building and fly. I'm glad you never tested that theory out. <laughs> I'll tell you, though, it wouldn't have taken much for me to do it because I was so sure. That's what it is. You're so convinced. You're convinced that you made the forty thousand dollars. You're convinced you're going to be a senator. You're convinced you're going to be able. You can fly. It's 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 overwhelming. It's and there's really not much you can say to a person to dissuade them from any of these things. Mm. They're so intently. You know, it's like somebody telling me you're not going to make the forty thousand dollars. It's a bad deal, and I'm already thinking I made it. So what are you talking about? You're not even, you don't even understand. You know what I mean? I mean, I'd be, I'd be. People say you can't fly. I'd be saying, yeah, I can fly. What are you talking about? You're stupid. I'm right. You're wrong. And it's it's a very distorted state. And it usually destroys people's lives. I mean, if they had a relationship with somebody, that's usually going to be over. If they had a job, that's going to be over. You know, any kind you have a manic episode, you basically will lose just about every good thing you have in your life. So your bipolar started with mania uh, back at the age of 16. And right. over the years, what's what's going on? How, how do where where do you, when do you start seeing the real deep depressed stuff? When does that come in? Well, for me, it, it hasn't occurred much, but it but it has occurred, um, and um, not being diagnosed until I was fifty one. I got married when I was about twenty six. I started a family, 
had four have four children, uh, had a marriage last for twenty four years, got into a really big manic break, lost custody of children, lost marriage, lost my job, lost my house, lost my four oh one K, lost my cars, lost everything, ended up on the floor of an abandoned cabin of somebody's that I slept on for two years. Um, those are some of the kind of things that 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 happen when a person, um, you know, for me, those are some of the things that happen for me. Now there were times in between there when I had depressive bouts where I really had a hard time getting up, going to work, getting out of bed, and lost interest in things. Fortunately for me, most of the time I was depressed. I was able to keep my job, but I had no interest in doing anything else. You say you lost all those things after 24 years of marriage, and obviously we don't need to get into every single detail, but generally speaking, what were some of the causes? What, what, made, what made you lose all those things? What happened? Well, I was in a very manic state, um, and, um, and I was thinking about very grandiose things. I, I did some really good things for the company I worked for. I was a mathematician for an insurance company, and I figured out a lot of problems for them and really helped them get back to profitability. But in my mania, that just um, got out of control to where I finally started to call out the CEO and the president of the company in large meetings and tell them that they were wrong and that I had a better way of running the company. So that, that got me fired pretty quickly. Then I lost, um, then I would do things like um, I did the flipping houses I, I felt like I needed to buy an H2 Hummer because some guy on TV had one that was a successful real estate investor. So I asked my wife if I could buy one and she said, no, you're not making any money doing what you're doing. And I went and bought it anyway. And then I hid it from her for three months. I, I kept my Camry and I would drive and I parked the Hummer across town I would drive my Camry to my Hummer, do my real estate work on the other side of the town in the Hummer, drive the Hummer back to the Camry, and then drive the Camry back home. Wow. When she found out about that, she was not happy. <laughs> That's just one of a few things I did. I, I, I kited checks between two banks, and when the bank found out about it, they not only took all the money out of my bank account for the check, but they took all the money out of my wife's and my kids' bank accounts. Mm. How has this impacted your kids? It's been hard. It's been hard. And there's, you know, there's good relationships, great relationships with two of them and, and strained relationship with two others. And so, um, you know, they have this memory of dad, you know, being this way. And it's really hard because they didn't know I had bipolar going through the experience. They just thought that dad was some kind of an idiot. You know, I just look like a complete jerk to everybody. Right. And so they experienced dad being a jerk, not dad having bipolar. 
So it's been very hard on them. And fortunately, I have two children right now that are very close to me and have really cut me a lot of slack, which is terrific. How old are you now, Bob? If you don't mind me asking. How how old are you now? I am 62. Okay. So so you've you've had bipolar for basically, uh, it sounds like around 46 years now. Of which the, yeah. first, the first 35 years, you had no idea that, that you had this illness. So you were trying to live with something. I mean, it, w- w- how frustrating was that? It wasn't, you know, what, when you're in it, like when you're manic, you don't realize that you're screwing everything up. You think everybody else is screwing everything up. You think you're God. You know, I always say the difference between me and God is that God's never thought he was me. But I thought I was him all the time. So you're frustrated with the world, not with your illness, but the world just doesn't work. You know, everybody doesn't work right. Mm. And it's a very, very frustrating way to see the world, you know, where nobody, nobody seems to get what you're doing even that that company I worked at I had these grandiose ideas about what the company could do and I would stand up in large meetings and announce these grand ideas that made no sense whatsoever but while I was doing it I thought they made perfect sense and I thought everybody in the room that didn't understand me didn't want to do what I'm saying was stupid so you see the whole everybody else is being dumber than you are right. everybody else being less able than you are it's awful and you don't have a lot of friends obviously you're not going to have a lot of friends thinking that way so you lose all your friends you you get very isolated you end up on the floor of a cabin by yourself you know after being you know very successful person and, and it's frustrating because even on the floor of the cabin before I got diagnosed, I was on that cabin floor. And I'm like thinking, why why doesn't the world, you know, why is the world so screwed up? Why is everybody so screwed up? Yeah. So, uh... Very, very frustrating and lonely. Yes, it sounds like it. It sounds, it sounds torturous, and I, especially when it's not treated like yours was. And I want to get to the, some of the treatment stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. so you started this uh, bipolar solutions, and you coach people mm-hmm. now. It seems like um, in, in, that are suffering, and uh, you're trying to help them mitigate the the bouts that this depression brings or this disorder brings. Uh, talk about that the the bipolar solutions a little bit, and, and what are some of the things that you do to help them out? Sure. So I started um, after I got better. Um, after I got treated, when I got better, it took about five six years before I was really feeling good. Um, after being treated, I started to speak for uh, a National Alliance on Mental Illness. Organization, it's a pretty mental illness organization. I started to be in their speaker program and then giving speeches, giving talks. Uh, parents would come up to me afterwards and ask if I could coach them on how to deal with their son or daughter's bipolar. And so that's when I started a coaching company. And that's what I do now is I 
I've been doing that for three or four years now of coaching parents on how to not only just understand the illness and understand their child, but how to communicate with him or her in a way that's effective. Like, for example, when they say, oh, I always say to him, are you sure you're taking your meds because you don't seem to be acting like you are? And I'm like, okay, and how does that go? Well, it always turns into a fight. And I said, okay, let's, let's approach it differently. You know, so I might teach them to say something more like, it seems like your meds might not be working properly because you seem like you have a lot of pressured speech at the moment. What do you think? And now I've, now I've said the meds aren't working. I didn't say you're not taking them. Right. You know, it's a huge difference in the way that's received. So I spend all day, all day long coaching parents on how to not only understand the illness, but how to, how to speak about it effectively to their child. How, how early can a uh, child be detected with these types of symptoms of potentially having the disorder? At what age? Well, I've seen people diagnosed, you know, at very young ages, under 10 years old, but I, 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 I tend not to, um, I have a hard time believing the diagnosis before they're like 16 because like I said earlier, you usually have to have some pretty dramatic event happen in your life for it to trigger. And I just don't know what a six-year-old had, you know, that was so dramatic. Um, and I'm just talking about an ordinary kid. I'm not talking about, you know, somebody being abused. Right. But. I don't know what a you know six year old worried about paying his bills. I mean, what what was what was the traumatic experience that he had? Mm. But uh, doctors do diagnose him early. I work with parents that have a child that's at least sixteen years old because there I realize that they I can figure out what their triggering event is and we can take it from there. What are some of the treatments um, that you recommend to people? Yeah, there's. Traditionally, you know, there's the therapy, which could be either cognitive um, uh, behavior therapy or it could be uh, dialectic behavior therapy. I've done both. Uh, and then there's uh, a whole host of medications. There's antipsychotics, antidepressants, and then mood stabilizers. And you have to be on the mood stabilizer before you're really on anything else. Some people have bipolar with psychotic features like I do, which means that I have delusions and paranoia that is outside reality. And so if I'm not on an antipsychotic, I'm accusing people of doing all kinds of things. Are you and taking I have this all medication? Kinds of delusional thoughts. Is this a medication taken daily? And I take that daily, yeah. And I, antipsychotic I take every day, although there are injections that people can take that last for as much as three months at a time. Uh, a lot of people with schizophrenia would take those injections. Not everybody with bipolar has psychotic features. Um, so then you would typically be on a mood stabilizer, like a lithium, you probably heard of lithium, um, that would be a mood stabilizer. And then they're usually on an antidepressant just in case they start to fall into depression right as a safety net wow 
what what about suicide? Is suicide are suicidal thoughts common? People that uh, struggle with the illness. Yeah, suicide um, in bipolar, um, fifty uh, percent or more will make one attempt on their life. Oh my god! And then about ten, ten to twelve percent of the people with bipolar will die of suicide. Oh my gosh! And That's I'm in terrifying. that group. Of the fifty percent. So how did you how did you uh, how did you attempt it? Well, I I had a, a plan to. Um, it's kind of even hard to talk about, but um, but my plan was to uh, be hit by a bus, actually, and I timed the bus every day in the town I lived in in that cabin and um, I, I waited for this bus that came from a very high hill coming down a, a high hill and clocking pretty good speed and I would know to the minute you know when that bus was flying by this part of the street and and I went there and stood at that spot and just at the last minute you know I changed my mind oh my gosh I just couldn't have my kids bury me I'm uh I'm numb just listening to that I mean that's uh that's so intense and I appreciate you being open um how do what's what advice do you give to people that are that close to doing something like that I mean how, how do they how do they just see the light what 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 can you tell somebody that's struggling with that at this moment for me, it was really hold on to something dear, you know, and I, I hope they have something dear in life, you know. For some people, it's a spiritual thing. Others, it might be a, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a son, or a daughter, a friend. Uh, just, just hold on to the thought of them, you know, being with you, and and I pray that they have something to hold on to, you know. I don't like using the word hang in there or hang on to something because I don't like using the word hang to begin with but I but I don't mean it that way I mean really holding on like a bear hug so for me it was just giving my kids a bear hug and just the imagination the imagining them burying me and then having to explain to all their friends how I died um, was enough for me and, and what, I, what I caution everybody is when they got these early warning signs, especially uh, around the depression, that they really need to check in with their doctor. Like I check in with a doctor once a month and I have a therapist uh, that I meet with once a week. Oh, that's great advice. And uh, I can't imagine what you've had to go through, what your family's had to go through, anyone else that's suffering from this. Uh, but it sounds like there are treatments, there are remedies, and there are ways to live well with it. And I think that's where you come from. When you say live well, uh, before we finish up here, talk about that briefly, if you would. You're living well. You you you, yeah. met, you have it under under control. Uh, how how you know what's your life like? Yeah, and that's just the thing I want to leave people with is that 
you can live well with this illness. I really believe that 99% of us can live well with it. There's going to be some people that are just treatment isn't going to work, but I think it's very rare. And so for me, living well means that I don't have a lot of symptoms. I don't have impulsivity. I don't have grandiose ideas. I don't have uh, a lack of interest in things that used to interest me. So the dozen or so symptoms of bipolar, I don't have any, or if I do have any of them, I have them in very mild form. And, and then being less symptomatic, um, I'm able to build a life. I'm able to work. You know, that's, that's success for me. Can I work? Can I keep a relationship with somebody, a special relationship with somebody? And can I have friends? And, 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 and do I, do I connect with my family? You know, so I live a really good life. I'd love to be able to connect with my other children. That would be, that would make it totally perfect but I have all those things now and they all came through, you know, really medication. And what I teach people is I say, if you don't like the medication, think of it not as your bipolar meds, but maybe it's your girlfriend meds. Maybe it's your job meds. For me, it was my, I get to be with my kids meds, you know, so there's, the meds can give you things back in your life that you don't have. Associate the meds with that instead of with the illness. Oh, that's beautiful. The meds are not a burden. The meds should be looked at as a, a positive. They're the thing that's getting you what you want. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're the thing that's getting you the job, keeping the job, keeping the girlfriend, keeping the house, keeping whatever. Well, I, listen, I, Bob, I, I really appreciate you coming on to share such a raw, sensitive uh, issue and something that you've been going through for the last 46 years. Uh, people want to reach you. What's the best way for them to get in contact? Uh, the best way is to go to bobkrulish.com, B-O-B-K-R-U-L-I-S-H.com, or they can look for my book and learn more about my journey on Amazon, it's called When Screams Become Whispers. Thank you so much, Bob. We will link up some of this in the show notes. Uh, again, really appreciate you, and uh, I have no doubt we will uh, touch some lives with this episode. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Nate. Thank you. Take care, Bob. You too.